Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I am David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here to Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good. Good. It's been a busy last few days between all the political writing I do and podcasts that we do, some of them which mm-hmm. turned out well. I, I, I'm glad to hear our last one turned out well, and some of them which were really, really hugely embarrassing and upsetting for for you and I, <laughs> and for, for anyone who struggled through them as well, try, li- tried to listen to them. And of course, with all the Oiler news, there's been lots going on, but it finally it fe- feels like today um, things have slowed down. Things we, We've turned the corner uh, in, in a lot of ways. We're turning the corner in the pandemic with, with numbers going way, way down. And the, certainly there's a, a page turned on the Oiler season as well with it coming to an abrupt and unexpected end. I was really sad, like I, watching that last game, I had the feeling like this could be the last game, of course, but I, I was really enjoying watching this Oilers team struggle and perform and get the most of it itself. And it, and it just does seem like it ended too soon to me. Like I, 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 I missed that. I, I watched a bit of the game last night, the Condors game. And by the way, I don't know if you got my email. We, we both subscribe to the AHL and you can watch those games for free, Bruce. Oh, okay. Good, good. And I, I will actually go even go back and watch pieces of the. They won three in a row in overtime. Go figure. Exact same thing that happened to the Oilers the other way around. They lost three in a row in overtime. And in case of Bakersfield, of course, it took them through through one series and it gives them a one game lead in the best of three finals of the, uh, yeah. of the Pacific Division. And I guess they have a chance to sweep tonight, do they? If they win tonight, I'm, I'm saying it's winning the Calder Cup, man. Like, this is as good as it gets for the yeah. HL. So there you go. Okay. Um, yeah, so so Holloway wasn't playing. So in terms of prospects, it's, you know, it's a little, it's a very, let's be honest, this is a very veteran-laden team. Now, yeah. And he's playing, like, Kessel Ring wasn't getting many shifts. I was a little disappointed, honestly, like, that Woodcroft wasn't playing Kessel Ring more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what value is it for the Oilers to be pl- like for the farm team to be running Kevin Gravel and Ryan Stanting with heavy minutes and not Michael Kesselring? So, like a, yeah, you know, well, yeah, all you need to do is look at the at the list of players who scored the uh, winning goals in overtime for the for the team: Seth Griffiths, Brad Malone, and Adam Cracknell. You know, those are the yeah. three three veteran forwards on the team and they're and they're they're lighting it up two of those guys have got seven points in the four playoff games and meantime we have uh tyler benson with two points and cooper marodi with one i think so on the other hand Stuart skinner's been getting a good uh good yeah. time and uh, you know winning 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 make or break do or die games in overtime that's that's a real good solid experience for whatever ice time they're getting uh, Stuart Skinner, guys. Yeah, Stuart Skinner. So, t- to be fair to Woodcroft now, so Benson's playing a lot, Marodi's playing a lot. They're both still prospect class players. Stuart right. Skinner's playing a lot. Vincent De- DeHarnay's playing a lot. Um, mm-hmm. It's just really Castle. I, I wanted to see Castle Ring play, so I was just right. disappointed. Lenstrom's playing a lot. I don't know. Lenstrom's not really a prospect. He's 26, 27 now. He is a hell of a hockey player, Bruce. He's really the, their best defenseman. Mm-hmm. Um, on the Bakersfield team. So, uh, I, I think, and, um, so he's, he's in, I, I hope they bring him back next year. I think, um, he could be in the running. 
because he's a, I don't see he had six player. six shots last night. I went through the box score. He had six shots and he got in a fight, which was a little bit of a surprise. You know, I expect to see Swedes in in fights very often. Well, I he's mean, feisty. obviously it can happen. I mean, Gabriel Landeskog had the Gordie Howe hat trick in the first game of the, of the playoffs, but uh, they uh, he's um, uh, he's like clearly like they don't have ice time. I really wish they had ice time. It was such a breakthrough when the NHL finally added ice time to their player stats because it tells oh, you so I see much. What you're saying. Yeah, it tells you so much about uh, as a stat in its own right. How much is the coach using them? And then as a rate stat, how much is he scoring for the opportunity that he's getting? So you use it on both sides of, of the equation, right, as the, as the uh, numerator and the denominator. But uh, we don't have that for AHL. But sometimes you can just tell if a guy's getting that many shots and, you know, that he's, uh, and he's sort of racking up some of the other stats that uh, go with it that, that they're using him a lot. And Lindstrom in the series, like I think he's had, what, 13 shots, and he's got three or four points, and, you know, he's clearly playing a, playing a role. And I'm with you. I, I like to see more from this player, and I think they, they certainly have to consider. And, of course, he might say, I didn't come over here to play in the American Hockey League. I'd rather be in the SHL than the AHL. And who would blame him if he said, failed experiment, I'm going back. But Depends how team, much money he makes, like he's paid. Yeah. Like, if he's paid more in the AHL, they can make it worth his while. Right. So... Uh, I hope they bring him back because um, the Oilers still have, depending on Clefbaum, have a hole. Anyway, so we're going to talk about, what we're going to talk about today is um, the Oilers' playoff performance um, in terms of the defensemen, the goalies, and the coach and the GM. And uh, we we did the forwards last time. So what we're looking at is, did um, how did these guys do in the playoffs? Did it raise their value to the team or lower it? Kind of look at that limited, fairly limited question. And we'll maybe talk a little bit about, uh, we can start off talking a little bit about Ken Holland's uh, press conference, Bruce. There's some some little pieces of news that came out of it. They're looking at a buyout um, or two, possibly. They're they're going to try to sign Mike Smith again. Oscar Clefbaum, still a huge question mark. And a little bit of positive commentary about Devin Shore, who we uh, mm-hmm. we went over last time, and in the process of the podcast, I changed my mind on the player. I'm still on the fence. Holland, mm-hmm. what did Holland say about Devin Shore, Bruce? Uh, well, he, he he just talked about consulting with him in the main uh, press conference, but then on uh, Oilers Now with Bob, Bob Stoffer, he did an extra 15 minutes after the 65-minute presser that he did earlier, and he'd maybe even 20 minutes with Bob. And the subject of Shore came up, and, and it seemed to me, I don't have a precise quote in front of me, but it sounded like they want to sign this guy, and they they have restricted free agent rights. And, of course, this past year they signed him to NHL minimum after a PTO, and he did come in, and he you know, he was a bit of a, of a, of a uh, versatile guy, played some center, played some wing, played some penalty kill, uh, you know, played physical. Uh, he made some sort of catch your eyes in a good way individual plays but his under his underlying stats were terrible yeah and he was below he was below 40 percent shots on goal and and all all the related stuff scoring chances and so on and put that in perspective 40 percent is two shots for for every three against so to break even you have to have um a shot or a shooting percentage that's 50% better than the other team, just just to, just to saw off, right? 
if if they're getting three shots for every two and they're shooting at eight percent, well, you need to shoot at twelve percent just to just to break even. And you know that's that translates to a stat uh, PDO that would need to be well over one thousand. And of course, in his case, it actually was less than the Oilers shooting percentage was was significantly less than the other teams and the other team was getting more shots well there's no way to win that equation because they're getting beat on both sides of it and so and he I mean his playoff performance he only played two games uh lots of overtime but uh in the overtime games we've got a few minutes and he got decent results but still the Oilers got outscored three to one when he was out there like yeah he he's He's a player who looked good in the playoffs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but, um, so, and he looked good on the checking line towards the end of the season. Like he, he did seem to, I don't know what mm-hmm. his, I don't know what his numbers were just at the end of the year. I'd be interested in that with Kara and Archibald. That'd be interesting to break that out and see right. if he actually did a little better. You know, so I'm not going to weigh in one way or the other. By our scoring chance metric, where we try to look at the, just the individual actions of the player as opposed right. to what happens you know, on ice, which is, which are numbers generated by large groups of players. Like, you know, it's attributed to shore, but it's, you know, that's a number earned by 20 players um, that he's played with over time. Mm-hmm. And so he has some impact on it, but he doesn't, he doesn't have full impact. I mean, last year, Connor McDavid finished ninth in Corsi, Fenwick and expected goals on the Oilers. Ninth for forwards, Bruce. So this is my hesitancy ab- around these numbers. Connor McDavid right. wasn't the ninth best forward on the Edmonton Oilers. So if you're going by those numbers and putting a lot of weight on them, you you got to think about it. So that's my point. I anyway, I agree with Under 40% tells you that the team is failing when the player is on the ice. And, and obviously there's mitigating circumstances. Who's he playing with? Who's he playing against? What kind of deployment is he getting? Uh, what kind of opportunities is he getting? Is he putting out to protect leads, or is he being put out when they need to uh, ramp up the offense? All of those things. And you know, uh, I, I'm going to do some of the things that you suggest and probably write a post on Devin Shore. Because the odd thing to me is that of all the guys out there, that he seemed to be the one that Ken Holland expressed fairly certainty on. We're going to sign this guy. Okay, that's your first priority. You know. Really? That's what he, he, he was at? <laughs> well, he basically, well, it was almost the same as I recall. And uh, I was actually going to go back to listen to Stoffer's show and get the exact quote in writing a post on the guy. But in my recollection, I know he seemed pretty certain that this was a guy that he liked and wanted to bring back. And, okay. So anyway, let's let's talk about defensemen. <laughs> well, uh, there was, a, he, he did. Yeah. Okay. Let's, we, we could, he did talk about a buyout. Um and, um, which is really, I, I think it probably does make, you know, everyone's looking at James Neal as the obvious thing. And James Neal, I think he was okay in the regular season. I have a little bit more time for him than, than maybe some other player people do. Um, but I think it probably, if they're going to, if they're going to use that money, remember when they bought out Pouliot and they didn't use the money? Yeah. That's my recollection. Like, yep. rock. What a monumental screw up that was. Let's so, stretch out the buyout for another year in the future by not using the cap space we created today. So, Just, I th- yeah, <sighs> they'll use the money this time, Bruce. Yes, I hope so. Yeah, I'm just I'm just going to quickly look at Shore's uh, natural statric numbers when he's with those players, because I think it. Uh, OK. What? He only played 12 minutes at even strength. Oh, this is this must be for the playoffs. 
Okay. Sorry, I'll just uh, get the regular season here. Um, yeah, so uh, here we go. So when Devin Shore was with Jujar Kara and Josh Archibald, their numbers were not much better. Um, mm-hmm. Their goal, two goals for three against in 80 minutes of play. That's it, eh? I thought they played more than that. Yeah, just eight, just eighty minutes together. Well, that's probably for them eight games. Yeah, you know they're not they're not playing a lot of even strength time. Mm-hmm. Their yeah. their well, uh, shots true. shots for and against were thirty nine percent. So goals for were forty percent. So they're about the same, Bruce, as, as uh, his other numbers. They didn't they didn't get worse or better. Uh, yeah. So anyway, what we're what we what we'll do with all of these players is we'll do the keep hold or fold on on each Oilers player going forward. What we'll, we'll do a deeper dive into Shore and James Neal and really, you know, it's I, I just think you need to really think hard about it with each player uh, before you can come up with an assessment. Let's move on to the def- the defenseman now. Let's start with um, Adam Larson. Bruce, do you think he increased his value, decreased his value based on his playoffs? What's your take on him, his play? Um, I was moderately disappointed with his play in the playoffs, to tell the truth. He'd been so solid down the stretch, and he was such a reliable uh, player protecting leads and stuff in the, in the third period. And uh, his pairing with Kulikov in three games and with uh, uh, Russell in the fourth game, and uh, Larson, I'm not sure if he was a minus player in every game, but he was a, a minus four on the series. And he was part of the problem on most of the goals against. And, you know, I think of the the goal in game one where uh, Tucker Pullman just went right in between him and Kulikov while uh, Wheeler, I think it was, shot from the outside and and Pullman went to the net. Nobody went with him and he tapped home a bad rebound. And then, of course, game two, the screenshot from uh, Stasny that won at one nothing in overtime that basically went right through both Kulikov and Larson decided that game. Uh, and then in, in uh, uh, game three, there was the uh, uh, fourth <clears throat> four three goal I think it was, where Kulikov coughed the puck out and then they couldn't uh, they couldn't put out the fire. <clears throat> and then the last game, Larson was kind of trapped. Um, up ice on the game-winning goal in overtime where Pionk made a, a, a good play to pick off McDavid's attempted shoot-in and make an absolutely perfect chip up the wall. Man, watch the replay of that goal and see how good Pionk's chip is. That, that It basically hits the blue line at the same moment that Connor does, where Connor, Kyle Connor doesn't have to slow down at all, doesn't have to wait for the puck, he doesn't have to chase it down. It was like a perfect uh, lead pass and was a one touch off the wall stretch pass for a breakaway and it was just just had the perfect touch on it but Adam Larson was kind of in the middle of nowhere on that not aware apparently of uh, Connor behind him and just kind of floating up the ice behind the behind the rush thinking probably McDavid's going to get it in do something with it and I'm going to watch right <laughs> well he watched Connor score it was just the wrong Connor yeah, of those goals, the the ones that really get me that were kind of uncharacteristic for Larson this this exactly. year were the the Pullman goal. Come on, yeah. you got to cover him, Adam Larson. He knows that. And the final goal, mm-hmm. 
the breakaway where he was now he might have been confused by Ethan Bear shifting off so so quickly I don't know like although they were, they're both oh. right D men but so odd the guy coming on was a right D man I mean how often do you see that the whole thing was just so screwed up and so he might be caught up in the total screwed he upness was, of he the, was on the left side of was the whole problem. thing bear bear went off and Larson almost never plays left yeah but because bear went off he was on the left side but he really wasn't in the at the right depth yeah and so so that was caught. a bad one he just didn't um there, there were moments when he looked like the Adam Larson. There was many moments when he looked like the Adam Larson of the regular season, and he made great plays, you know, just every solid defensive play. I, and I recall the the third game after the power play goal by um, by the um, Jets that uh, Larson uh, made three really great defensive plays on one shift. He, he was providing kind of the right. veteran defensive leadership that was needed in that moment to calm everyone down. I was remarking, I wish he could play the rest of the game. And and um, most of the series, he was like that, but there were some uncharacteristic slip-ups from him, many, more a higher rate than he made in the regular season, and some of them had really bad consequences. So nonetheless, I think um, when, you, when, when, when it's weighed all together, the chances that the Oilers don't want Adam Larson back are zero. And I think there's actually kind of a broad, interestingly, on a defenseman, because there's always such wide variety of opinions on defensemen. I think... And again, because I think most stats don't do a very good job of rating defensemen. So, um, but there's there's quite a consensus among Oilers fans that Larson needs to come back, that, that mm-hmm. he's a priority signing for this team. So, do you need to go shut the door or something? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go shut that window the next time you're speaking. Of, it, it, it just takes one neighbor to turn a quiet neighborhood into an unquiet one. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, why don't we move on? Let's talk about uh, Darnell Nurse, and I'll start talking about him, and you can go shut that window. So we're going to talk okay. about Darnell Nurse here and um, his playoff performance. I think that he uh, raised his value. He had a very, very good regular season. Uh, he was even he was slightly better in the playoffs. He, um, you know, after after quite a rancid playoff performance in. Uh, Last year against Chicago, Nurse struggled in the playoffs, but this time he he was at least as good as he was in the regular season. Um, and um, overall, he played well. He, he I thought his attacking was very strong, especially. There's moments on defense where he was also involved in breakdowns and mistakes and goals against, uh, I believe. Let me just see that, if, if Nurse was, uh, in, was actually a culprit. And he just won. Just one uh, goal against, actually, with Nurse. Uh, where he uh, puck deflected in off him, um, right? In game, that was much, very much game more four. bad luck than anything yeah. else. It was it, the guy deflected it off a nurse's calf and in. It was one of those, you know, Matthew Highmore style deflections where, you know, the p- puck is shot in the air at the middle of the net and it hits guy's stick and it hits something else and it finds a corner of the net and, you know, what do you do about that? I like the player a lot, Bruce. I, he's and, mm-hmm. and I like the like the the closeness of the of the guys at the top of the team. And yep. in terms of you know fending off all of these rumors and whatever thoughts that the players might have themselves about you know not sticking with it at Edmonton, the key is keeping together a group of core players. And you know so all the people like we could we could trade like we don't hear it so much anymore the trade Darnell Nurse or the trade Leon Drysaddle thing, which was a steady loud drum beat for many people for many years. 
Especially we don't nerds, hear yeah. we don't hear that and dry settle for oh, two for or a while dry settle. yeah not in the nurses last not since he became, carried on but nurses carried on but even that but, has died down and yeah go go ahead bruce i was just going to say but 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 his next contract's going to be expensive and if it isn't the one after that's going to be expensive we better get rid of him and then the drumbeat will be we need a number one defenseman around here why can't we develop a number one defenseman around here Sorry, it oh. frustrates me. If, I, if it sounds like I'm mocking, I'm mocking the the, the the the, and it's probably not the same people saying the same two things. But it, it's, uh, it's 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 a, sometimes a lot of the is, same but, people, Bruce. <laughs> it's been a lot yeah. of the same people saying that who who both underrated both those players, uh, and so yeah. Like meanwhile, Darnell Nurse makes five point six million dollars this year and next year. Like he's he this crushed, incredible. He crushed it this year. He, he, he's worth more than that if you do yes. any sort of any sort of uh, valuation of what he provided to the team. He absolutely crushed the three point two million he was paid the two previous years, and at least the last year of his ELC, he crushed that when he was making under a million and he led the team in goals, assists, and points on defensemen. And you know, I mean, eventually, I mean, his next contract will be all UFA years. And he will have fully established, I think, his peak value by then. And it's it will be uh, costly, but, I mean, presumably he, there's no reason to suspect he won't deliver on it. He's just kept raising his game. He took huge strides this year. I mean, that that um, that fourth game, uh, which, unbeknownst to us watching it, is his fiancé is in labor back in Edmonton, about oh, to deliver their, their baby. Which really? he did the next morning. He got home the next morning just in time to see his baby boy get born. Meanwhile, wow. on Monday night, he plays 62 minutes in the playoff game, third all time, and and in a game that was you know only three overtimes versus the five overtimes that Seth Jones set the record of 65 minutes. And he was, I mean, if was there a single fire lit? On Darnell's watch in overtime by uh, Winnipeg, you know, like he played, like he played 15 and a half minutes of the first overtime, uh, and he he uh, uh, he was just uh, steady as she goes, as uh, as uh, you know, he 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 was conserving energy to some degree he wasn't all over the ice like we come to think of him but you know he doesn't need to be all over the ice there are times when he can let the game come to him and i'd argue there are times that he's better when he lets the game come to him as he did in that situation he just he just put in a, a herculean effort in the uh uh in that um extended game you know paying paying 10 12 15 minutes a period in in like Every period, full period of the game, it was it was uh, so. I don't see where he hurt his value. Uh, I, I would say he was less than his full game in in uh, game one. I was totally thrilled with his game in game three, but you know he was he didn't stand out as having a bad game. I thought he was really really good in game two and especially game four. In the overtime, we we tagged them with one major mistake on a great A chance against. It was a um, second overtime on on a, on a three on two. There was a fan shot, and he was kind of slow to the shooter, Andrew Cop. I don't remember the play specifically, but uh, yeah, he was 
for all the ice time he was playing and uh, and all the how <laughs> how tired he was, uh, he did pretty well. He did pretty well. Well, he played he played close to seventy percent of the overtime minutes in the three overtimes, uh, way in the high sixties. And guess what? He wasn't on the ice for any of the three Winnipeg goals. It was when he was on the bench that they scored all three of their game winners. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's well sample it's, in a way, but it's still pretty pretty affirming that he wasn't the problem. So he had a great year, and he had a really good playoffs, is what I I would say. And um, all right, let's talk about uh, let's talk about Chris Russell, who only played the last game. I thought Russell in that last game um, was okayish on defense, but I was was fine on defense. But um, they overplayed him. They should have been putting Slater Cuckoo got there. I mean, if they had just switched to Adam Larson and Slater Cuckoo, I think that would have been a better move, honestly. But um, Russell, what I noticed in that game, Bruce, was he was, you want conservative with the puck, but he was a nothing with the puck in the last game. Like, honestly, the puck would go back to the point. They work it back to the point. The forwards have been working hard. They are exhausted. They needed those defensemen to get pucks on net. It would go mm-hmm. back to Russell and he would just, he'd dump it back down into the corner. Oh, now we got to work. Now we got to do it again. Now we got to work our butts off again to win the puck because he can't walk the line and get a shot on net. And, and this isn't like a criticism of, well, it's a criticism of Chris Russell, but mm-hmm. that is who he is at this point. He's yeah. not, oh, yeah. he's not creative at the point at all. And so as a seventh defenseman or eighth defenseman for next year, I'm good with Chris Russell being with the Edmonton Oilers. Like mm-hmm. he can fill in. He he was strong in the regular season, but he's he's they need more on the attack from their defensemen. They need they need uh, players who can get a point or get a goal, and he's not that guy anymore. So, um, yeah, I was he's it was his first game in a while, so we, so we have to take that into consideration. Maybe right. I I. I in, in some ways, I blame the coach. If Russell didn't have the, the, the you know, wasn't able to ramp up his game and add a little more bit more offense, well, maybe it's because he was being worked too hard in a game where he wasn't ready for that kind of workload yet. So this is a little bit on uh, Dave Tippett, but um, it really stru- stood out to me, just the that lacking of offense, any kind of offensive assistance from him. Well, when he was on the ice, which was 29 minutes at even strength, so basically half of an ordinary game, the Oilers had eight shots on net. Like, they just didn't get any offense going at all. And it was, um, you know, and and he's playing every other shift. I mean, Russell and Larson, it's not much chance of the Oilers scoring <laughs> when, uh, when they're out there together. And, and uh, they had, um, they were getting every other shift, so they were, trying to conserve energy. I mean, as was Darnell. I mean, you could say maybe Darnell, if he was playing a little bit less, he, we, there would have been a play where he maybe could have jumped in and made something that happened for, for the good. But uh, we'll t- I'm sure we'll talk about that when we're talking about Dave Tippett. But Russell specifically is a player who's already signed for next year, who at least um, um, he checks a box for the expansion draft. They may not need that. That box may be checked more than once, depending on who they wind up leaving uh, unprotected. Uh, 
but he signed at something reasonable for what he is, which is a, a veteran savvy defense first um, uh, defenseman uh, at something close to you know his his, uh, his value, like at one at one point two five million dollars. I'm not sure if it's a value contract, but that's going to open up almost three million in cap space right there. The Russell uh, new contract, where whereas a lot of guys you're looking at, well, if we bring back. Larson or Nuge or Barry, it's going to cost more or the same. And bringing back Russell, they've they've filled a, a roster spot, but they also made a uh, uh, big improvement in the in the cap space in doing it. So I, I'm not unhappy they brought him back. If they if they just like given him a significantly bigger amount, it might not have been worth it. But I think they got uh, um, they came to to a reasonable settlement for one year extension at less than a third of his old rate in that last game um i think he was he was uncharacteristically out of position for a few slot shots that Mm -hmm. uh that they got there was an early one by shifley where he was he was in the middle of this not covering the man at all it just he just seemed a little bit penalty kill they scored on that didn't they that was on the the power play no that that was just before then but right after that there was one on the power play where where he didn't block the pass over, and he allowed a pass over to Dubois late in the late in the game, um, on a two on one. Which you know he usually he's pretty good at covering those off. And there was another one where he was where Perot got a good shot and he was out of position. Which was these are all un, un things you know don't normally see from Chris Russell. So I'm going to cut him some slack in that playoff game, like not to base too much on it because he's just coming back. He hasn't played in a game in a long in you know a couple of weeks Month? at least. Was it a month? And well, no Cal- Calgary game that he got hurt. Kachuk took him out. Yeah, and they didn't play Calgary for a long time down the stretch. And this was game four of the playoffs, so it was a be- guessing, yeah. better part of a month. Yeah, yeah, I- I fair enough. Yeah, so. so he was out for a while. So let's. I'm not going to put a, a whole lot on it. Like, I wouldn't even brought up the offensive stuff, but it, this is what we saw pretty much all year from him. He was the least likely Oilers defender by far to make a major contribution to a great A chance. I mean, other than William Loggison, he and Loggison were at the very bottom and it just speaks to the lack of oomph in their passing and shooting games for both those players. So yeah, Russell's back and, um, all right. Uh, Tyson Berry, Bruce. Um, I, I liked Tyson Berry's last game quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing on the top pairing. He just kept it simple and, um, moved the puck and didn't take any chances, which, which is a really good game for Barry. Like when he, when he plays that game, uh, he looks like, uh, a, a valuable player for a team. He didn't maybe as the season went on, I was just noticing him making more and more flubs on pinches mm-hmm. and allowing two on ones against, maybe he was trying to go for the points, you know, like lead the league in points. And he was trying to force things looks good on the stat sheet. Maybe that, you know, just, he just wanted to score, 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 which is, which is, was kind of the dead time of the season. So it's not, wasn't that huge, but that continued on into the playoffs in the first few games. So much so that he got bumped down the lineup justifiably. And Ethan Bear didn't do any better than Barry um, in that role. But, um, but um, I don't think Barry, you know, he didn't help his cause. He didn't force them. He was going to have to come up with this huge effort where he he stood out on the top pairing as this guy that they just can't 
be without if he was going to make have the orders try to sign him, pay up the money that it's going to take to sign him. I don't think he accomplished that. Although he looked he looked he looked good in the last game. Uh, I just see the Oilers going with Bouchard, Barry, and uh, Larson for sh- almost certainly. And uh, moving on from Tyson Barry, who made a great contribution in the regular season, but um, just NHL economics forced will force the Oilers' hand and his hand, and he'll go elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. Like, I don't think he much moved the needle in the playoffs. Like, um, he was all right, and you know, his actual his his underlying numbers were actually pretty good uh, in terms of uh, the Oilers holding close to sixty percent of the shot share when he was out there. And I agree with you. I thought he was strong in the last game, and I thought he was uh, among the most composed of uh, the Oilers defenseman with the puck. Like he was doing stuff with the puck in that last game, and and handling it with, you know, assuredness and, and uh, making positive plays to move it and not really getting getting ripped up defensively. Um, and I just don't see how the how the contract's going to fit into, you know, the contract he's looking for, which is term and presumably dollars both. Like you're going, you want to sign that guy for four times six or four times 5.5? When you got Evan Bouchard waiting in the wings, who's on an entry-level contract for the next two years, and you got other holes in your lineup that uh, that need filling, I'm not sure you do. And you know, in the in the playoffs, the Oilers only scored two power play goals, which is his forte, and one of them was a five-on-three, which strangely Tyson Berry wasn't on the five-on-three unit. It was the nurse they bring out for the for the five-on-three. And so uh, they only scored one power play goal, five on four in the, in the series. And, of course, they didn't get that many power plays. That's another rant. But uh, the ones they got, I didn't think they really took as much advantage of as they could have. There was a few dead power plays in there that didn't do much. And uh, I'm not saying that's Tyson Berry's fault specifically, but he did not shine in that situation. I think it's fair to say that. Yeah. So I think Larson... They need a defenseman like Larson, a shutdown defenseman. They need an attacking defenseman mm-hmm. in in Evan Bouchard. I mean, it, part of me is attracted to the idea if you could have Bouchard and Barry and Larson. Like, that's kind mm-hmm. of a, that would be an interesting lineup as well. That would be mean moving on from Ethan Bear. Ethan Bear is a lot less expensive, though, than Tyson Barry, and he's yep. a better defender. Yep. And he didn't have a great year on the attack. And he had mm-hmm. some iffy moments in the playoffs. Yep. But I think because Ethan Bear's just entering his prime as a hockey player, he's a cheaper oh, sure. contract. He played very well in the last half of the season. Uh, Ethan Bear, I thought, was was very strong and um, er, had earned promotion. When he did get promoted to that top pairing with Nurse in the playoffs, he had earned that. Now, he struggled there as well, and he had that bad turnover in game four didn't play again until the crazy shift at the end of the game. But these are just, that was so uncharacteristic, honestly, that pass that Ethan Bear made of, of his season. He didn't make, he he hardly ever makes turnovers like that. He's not like Mm -hmm. Kulikov, for instance, who tends to make more turnovers like that. That was just, that was just one mistake that was an aberration. It, It happened. It was, it had terrible consequences in that game, but uh, I I think the orders will decide we're sticking with Ethan Bear mm-hmm. uh, over Tyson Berry, 
and um, we're going to see how that works out. And I and I think it's the right decision. Yeah, well, I think it is uh, is the way to go for sure. Uh, I, I like the player. I think he took a little bit of a step back this year. And yeah. I think he was, I mean, if, if you look at the, at the three uh, rookies who made a big impression on the team in uh, uh, 1920, uh, he was one, Caleb Jones was one, Kyler Yamamoto was one. And all three of them, to me, took a step back in 2021. 20, and if you can use sophomore slump uh, description, if you like. Uh, sometimes it's a matter of, I mean, Ethan Bear in 2019-20, uh, they talked about how he stayed in Edmonton all summer long. He worked his butt off to get in the absolute best possible shape. He came to camp and he was ripping it up right from, I was at the first open practice of 2021 and I was saying, holy moly, does he ever look good? And all the, all the, you know, the reporters and so on were saying, Ethan Bear looks fantastic out there right from September 15th of uh, 2019. And uh, he was, you know, just ripped it up, made the league, you know, and then he had, uh, you know, the layoff, the two layoffs, the contract situation that went right into December. Uh, who knows, you know, in terms of conditioning, I think that was an issue for all of the players to various degrees. Uh, uh, without wanting to criticize him, I would suggest there's a pretty good chance he didn't come to camp in uh, January in quite the tip-top form that he was in 2019. And that may apply to all of those guys. And I think a lot of those sophomore slumps are this. is that first year, every, they're, they're pumped. They're, they're, everything is going their way. And then after the year, I think, oh, boy, I made it. I'm in, I'm in the league, you know. And there's this tendency to maybe just that, that little margin. And it, uh, that second year is a, a wake-up call. And then oftentimes, and in fact, usually, I'd say they come back in the third year and they've sort of learned from what, what went wrong in the second year and remembered what went right in the first year and they kind of get it back on track. So I would say all three of those players, that's something to watch for in 21-22. Uh, 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 and it's, uh, um, you know, just part of the part of the learning experience. But I think they got, they got a good player in Ethan Bear. His skating's a bit muddy. Uh, but he's he's a real battler in those uh, in those one on ones, and and he does move the puck nicely. And one thing I will say is that the organization has already gone to bat for him in the last day in response to these uh, these offensive uh, um, feedback that he's been getting online from a small percentage of the fan base or whatever it is, and. Uh, you know, it's all well and good to criticize, you know, let's criticize him equally. He's part of the team. He deserves the same kind of scrutiny as any other player on the team. But but uh, there's absolutely no reason to, to uh, uh, bring his heritage in, into it in any way. And uh, that was both discouraging and at the same time heartening to see how many folks, including the team and the NHL, that went went to uh, went to bat and, and uh, uh uh, defended and, and praised uh, him as a as an excellent role model, and so that that's been a it's been a kind of a uh, unsettling day or two on that front. But uh, yeah, I, I really like McDavid. Yeah, yeah, up and, yeah. His teammates. Yeah, that's what I like. That's what I like yeah. to see was his teammates yeah. stepping up and saying how inappropriate and 
yeah. gross and <laughs> all those things. You know, I was worried, Bruce, like, honestly, when the play happened, mm-hmm. uh, when that play and then the, the, the bad line change happened, I was worried that he was going to get, as I called, jolted. You yeah. know, where Justin Schultz made a few terrible turnovers uh, and I like looked bad on goals against. And so some people just wanted to run him out of town. It just got so poisonous. So I was worried, actually, when I saw that play from Bear, I was worried that there were going to be like just an overreaction in, in just hockey terms, just right. based on his hockey ability. The fact of the matter is that kind of play was just so uncharacteristic for Bear. He, mm-hmm. he has such a high hockey IQ that... Um, you might make more of it because Justin Schultz made more of those kind of bonehead plays, I'm going to suggest, but bear hardly ever makes them. And so that's what you have to take into consideration. There was a mistake under pressure in a big game, but he doesn't make those kind of mistakes very often. He's very solid with the puck. He makes good reads and he makes up for his lack of skating ability because he's such a, he reads the game so well defensively as well. So I think mm-hmm. he's rounding into being a pretty good NHL defenseman. What what I didn't expect in the him getting jolted was this ridiculous racist response from some people. And I've seen comments now on them. You see the same kind of thing about Darnell Nurse now and then, like ridiculous right. comments. And I just, I'm glad people, I'm glad that their teammates are standing up for him. I'm glad Bear's standing up for himself. And, and, um, just leave it at that, I guess. Team in the league, yeah. It's uh, the pushback. The pushback was heartening. The fact that the pushback was necessary, disheartening. But yeah, it's the age where everyone's got a platform now, Bruce. Everyone, every person can say what they think and get publicized, and and so we see what everyone's thinking now. And and they can hide behind a pseudonym, you know, or whatever, while they're doing it and yeah. be the, the keyboard warriors. Yeah. So it's uh, it's. Uh, uh, yeah, different. It's a different world, but some of these problems, of course, are historic. But, you know, go way, way back. And it's you like to think we're making progress. I think the progress, you know, it's obviously not perfect, but the progress is measured in how strong was the response versus how weak and lame was the original uh, issue. And it's um, like I say, criticize him for his play. I mean, we criticized Adam Larson for letting a guy get past him. We can do that without saying, well, it's because he's a Swede. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's got nothing to do with it. He's a hockey player. He's part of the team. Um, Kulikov. Kulikov, mm-hmm. Bruce. He he played so well that the coach benched him in the last game, and I was, I liked it, actually. He, I don't know. I, I don't, will he be back? I doubt it. Uh, I mean, I think... Um, you know, we were just talking about Landstrom. Right. I think Landstrom's a better player than Kulikov. Like, seriously. I, Kulikov is, he's a big guy who can hit. I like that. He mm-hmm. moves the puck okay. Mm-hmm. But I just, like most the, of the time. most of the time. <laughs> yeah, most of the time. This is the problem with Kulikov. Most of the time he's good, except for those times when he's not good at all. And he makes fundamental mistakes and i think part of larson's problems were were coming from playing with kulikov a little bit just you just can't really rely on him to be on top of the shooter at the right moment like even like the overtime goal in game three that went through through him like you know just get a little closer get your stick on puck like make the play block the shot um and Make the pass. Don't make the turnover. There was that was also in game three, was it not? Where one of his turnovers, uh, 
ended up to the in four the three. Net. Yeah, it was yeah. Game two, game two that he that, that he game two? that he let in the the goal overtime goal that went right through his legs, and game okay. three that he coughed the puck up on the four three goal that really sort of yeah opened the floodgates to oh here we yeah. go you know. So. So he's he was okay. He's he's an okay player. If if you needed a depth defenseman as your seventh D man, I'd be okay with Kulikov. Like he's if you didn't have Chris Russell, um, Kulikov would be a good player in that seventh D man role. Like there's nothing stopping him from doing that. But um, I I don't think he raised his value enough to earn another contract in Edmonton. I don't think that's going to happen. Your thought. Well, the good news here is that because the Oilers didn't win a playoff series, the condition on the trade didn't kick in, so they didn't have to give them a third rounder, just a oh, fourth rounder. Uh, that's the good. condition was win a playoff round. They they upped the ante to a third round pick. Uh, he reminded me in some ways of another Russian defenseman with a somewhat similar name, Igor Ulanov, who played with a somewhat similar defense partner as Adam Larson and Jason Smith. The original Gator. I often call Larson the Swedish Gator because it reminds me of the same sort of uncompromising uh, defense first uh, in your face style that uh, that he plays. Um, and Larson and Kulikov did kind of remind me of the Smith and Ulanov pairing. And my lasting memory of Smith and Ulanov was there was them getting beat by Dallas Stars in the 2003 playoffs where they were. Uh, they were lit up for a couple of goals in the, in the uh, crucial situations, and unfortunately, that's what happened with this pairing. And I think it's a matter of they rented the player, and now that you know they they pay the rental fee, and I think they're probably going to move on. I, I don't hate the player. There's some things about him I really like. I like his physicality and the way he bounced guys that took runs at him. But uh, he and his uh, he, he had you know decent. The Oilers had decent possession and stuff when he was out there, but his mistakes weren't just mistakes. They tended to be blunders. Slater Cuckoo, Bruce. I think that Slater Cuckoo raised his value in the playoffs, and he is he he was already had pretty good value from the regular season till he got hurt. He's a good player. I said before, uh, I was I didn't know what to expect when he got to Edmonton. He really impressed me. He's a kind of an all rounder. Uh, maybe in a in a fairly limited sense of that word, like not an all rounder in the in the top pairing, but he he can move the puck, he can defend, he's a smart player, he adds to the attack, he's aggressive on the attack, he moves in and joins the attack. Um, he his one egregious mistake happened in the general team meltdown after the Ethan Bear turnover in in yeah. uh, game four, and he just it, it but it was the kind of mistake that ninety five ninety percent of the D men are going to do. Everyone gets puck focused and they're all desperate to make to make up for the turnover. And he went sliding past the shooter. And but you know, everybody else also panicked on the ice at the same moment. Every single player involved in that play um didn't make the right play. And they and they made an iffy situation far worse than it had to be because of that. So and then he got benched. And that Four was of them got benched. Yeah. Oh well, they all did. They all got benched. Everyone except for Shore, who was also sure. made a mistake on that play. So, but I think he's, he's only, you think he's 27. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he even got a two-year contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if it's at, a, at the right amount for like 800,000, 900,000, a million dollars, he's a, he's a solid third pairing guy. The only thing that would stop them from doing that is they also, they already have Logason and Jones under contract. 
Um, they got Philip Broberry coming up. They have Lenstrom. So they might be thinking, we'll right. just give him one year. But I do think he will get a, I think he'll right. get a one-year contract and I don't think that will be a mistake. Yeah, well, it could be that that sliding attempt at defensive play is his last moment as an Edmonton Oiler because he never saw the ice again after that. And, I mean, he's, you know, he's back on the pile. Like, the only difference between him and, and 100 other guys is that they have a couple-month window here where they can decide, you know, they can they can negotiate with him. But he's, uh, I believe, unrestricted this summer. Yeah. And he... Uh, uh, from his perspective, he's he's thinking, well, I made some inroads with the team, but also getting benched for one mistake is, you know, that, that that's going to sting. And it's probably not going to make the player have a real warm feeling towards his coach. Uh, Maybe, Bruce, but the, the coach did pick him over Caleb Jones, right? Like the guy who had been playing all yeah. along. And as soon as Cuckoo's healthy, the coach says, oh, yeah, you're my true. guy. So there mm-hmm. is that vote of confidence. Slater Cuckoo has been benched before in his career too, I would suggest. Yeah. So it's probably yeah, not. No, a new that's thing. True. So that's a, I don't know. I mean, that's a fair comment, Bruce, but I don't know if it will really. Mm-hmm. If they offer him a contract, there's a pretty good chance that he would accept it. But I think so. It'll be, I would suggest one year and that would be, I would suggest in the $1 million yeah. range or, or under just under. Yeah, he's a, he's a third pairing at best. Like he's he does not project to me as a top four like ever, but he's a you know decent depth defenseman absolutely. The question would be, do they think so? They you know what what's happening with Oscar Clefbaum? I don't think they're counting on Oscar Clefbaum for next year, and um, so so they have Nurse, and then who do they have? It's just a big question mark after that was philip broberry ready to play in the nhl next year no i think they'll want him to play in the ahl especially based on how his season in sweden went in the second half they're going to want him to go and play in the hl but half the year over but they're going to want a veteran at least one veteran so Mm -hmm. they'll have they've had so they have all these guys under contract russell Mm -hmm. lagason jones one of those players probably heads to seattle i'm guessing so there's two uh two plus nurse Kulikov they're gonna, probably out. Yeah, so they're going to Kulikov probably out. So they need they're going to who who are they going to count on in their second pairing is is a big question mark. Could they count on Cuckoo to to do that? Could they nope. count on Logos? So. They're going to nope. count on Jones. No, nope. I don't think you can count one. on him. That's a tough one. Of the so, three, I'd say Jones is the likeliest to be able to step into a second pairing, but he did not. Uh, I guess we'll probably talk about him in a second too. But he didn't ahead. make the. Well, he no, didn't I mean, play, right? so. he didn't play in the playoffs. Which I mean, if we're talking about whether his value went up or down in the playoffs, it went down. Down, yeah. Because his coach didn't judge him to be one of the six or even seven best defensemen. Because when he replaced a left shot defenseman, he still didn't use Caleb Jones. So his. Uh, his value, I think, on the season went down a little bit. And in the playoffs, you know, he had no chance to improve his case. I mean, the good news from his perspective is he does have a contract uh, for next year. And many folks are projecting that he'll be the one that Seattle Kraken take from the orders in the expansion draft. Well, it's certainly he's one of several possibilities. Um, but 
those of us, myself included, who projected uh, him being on the protected list of defensemen uh, have caused rethink. And I, I, my current projected list does not include Caleb Jones, and it did before. I just don't think he did enough. And I mean, we're going to lose a player, and we're probably going to lose a you know, half-decent player. But uh, it's is it a catastrophe if they lose Caleb Jones to Seattle? I don't think so, because I, I don't see him... I mean, potentially he's a top four in, you know, a few years and potentially he's just, you know, we don't know yet, I guess. And Such a weird oh, player yeah. because Bruce, he played so, he played pretty well the last two years when he got chances. He was looking like every indication that he was ready to step up and be an NHL player. And this year his defensive game just went out the window. Like he just seemed like he had a crash in confidence. And he was trying to force things. He was turning, he would, he lacked composure with the puck. He would make bad reads of the play. He was trying to force things, force things, force things. And it wasn't working. And it just led to bigger problems. I mean, he made almost, by our grade A scoring chance count, he made almost twice the rate of major mistakes on grade A chances against as any other defenseman on the owners. And that includes Tyson Berry. Twice the rate. It is, it's, it's, it was a really bad defensive season for this player. So I'm, I don't know what to make. I like, I wouldn't surprise me if he went to another city and he became a top four D man, second pairing left shot demon and did really well and had a good run of five or six years in the NHL. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't surprise me in the least. And I, I would like the Oilers to give him another chance and for him to have another opportunity here. But I actually think Slater Cuckoo has a better chance to be a, like a fill in until Philip Broberry's ready I think Cuckoo has a better chance of, of filling in in the top four next year than Jones does personally. Like, um, I think that that has a likely, at this point, a higher likelihood of success. Not either of them having a great likelihood yeah. of success, but Philip Broberry might just need half a year in um, Bakersfield for us. It's too bad we didn't see him or Holloway in, in these last Right. run in Bakersfield because then we'd have a much better sense like do the orders really need a left winger to play with McDavid or is Dylan Holloway going to be that guy next year we we would know more about that but we don't have that information because they didn't get that you know COVID interrupted or injury injury and COVID interrupted it for kind of both of them on a certain level yeah kind of odd when you think about it though that they brought Brovery over and they brought him to Edmonton when there was zero chance he was going to play here he could have played in Bakersfield could have been in there was I don't know there, if he could have got a some kind of visa issue from Sweden in oh, the United right. States right now, Bruce, right. was the You're thing. Right. And I don't know if he could have even got a visa to, because that's why uh, um, Philip Berryland didn't get a chance to play for the Bakersfield Condors because he couldn't get, he couldn't get over there. So, yeah, so it's just, a, they've got a, it would be great if Oscar Clefbaum were healthy. That's all I'm saying. But wouldn't that be great? Mm-hmm. I mean, if suddenly Oscar Clefbaum was good to go next year and, and was close to his 2017 self before he got all really banged up. And um, so we can we can have our fingers crossed about that. But there, there's a, you know, we'll, 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 we'll look more closely and, and in more detail at each of these players. But right, right. now it's a, just a ton of question marks, isn't there, on the left um, side? Yeah. On Caleb Jones, if uh, you're digging deeper into him or we are we can look at maybe it's my selective memory but i'm wondering if he was the most likely defenseman to get burned for a breakaway than anyone it seemed like guys would get behind him and he would be you know 
they they they'd hit the long bomb pass on Caleb's side of the ice more more often than it should have happened. Let's put it that way. Uh, let me just have a look at that, Bruce, because I did look at that. Uh, I, let me see if I could figure out how to find that. You know, the other in Jones's favor, I was mm-hmm. a, he was he was also the according to how we how we were rating the game, he was the most likely defenseman by far to make a major contribution to a grade A chance for at even strength on the Oilers. He 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 was his he was passing the puck well often mm-hmm. and making uh, good shots from the point. Um, that would get through, uh, get on net. So he was this incredibly high event players at player at both ends of the ice in the regular season, and that's not Dave Tippett's definition of a right. of a defenseman that he's going to rely on. I don't. I I believe so. Um, yeah. Let me just see. No, if the I... odd part was you know he only got four points, and the four assists in thirty three yeah. games, and Chris Russell who we talked about his offensive limitations. He got nine assists and basically the same number of games. So, I mean, obviously the assists is a small sample size as opposed to his involvement in scoring chances and the like, but but uh, it's uh, his offense, his contributions to offense are underrepresented by his contributions to goals. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, near the end of the year, yeah, he did allow the most breakaways, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, on a rate basis, by far, yeah. uh, he he allowed three breakaways this year, and Tyson Berry allowed three, uh, according to what in we were way seeing. Way more minutes, and um, yeah, in way more minutes, like Barry almost had three times the minutes, or yeah. he had at least two and a half times the minutes. So yeah, Caleb Jones, like his his his. When you at when you look at turnovers, bad line changes, bad pinches, breakaways, um, his number of his rate of bad mistakes, as we as I was calling them, was was the highest for any defenseman. Blunders uh, per sixty. Blunders per. It was ten times the rate of Chris Russell. So people wonder why. Oh, what is what does wow. Dave Tippett see in Chris Russell over Caleb Jones? That's what he sees. That's what he saw. Like we we you know we've time stamped these. We we mm-hmm. saw them. We don't have anything against Caleb Jones. No. Or against Chris Russell, we oh. we actually like Caleb Jones and Chris Russell. We like all these players. We're we're hope cheering for them all, but this mm-hmm. is how we saw it. We saw ten times the rate of bad mistakes by this one player over this other player. Completely unexpected. I would never have guessed that. I, I might have guessed double the rate for right. you know because yeah. they're different. Russell doesn't make hardly any of them. Larson and Russell made hardly any of them, yeah. but. Barry and Jones made a ton of them, and so did Kulikov. He was third worst, third highest rate, rate of bad mistakes. Um, so, anyway, let's move on to the goalie, Bruce. Mike Smith, I think he obviously, Ken Holland's already addressed this. He wants to re-sign him. I just think that's kind of a, of course you re-sign him. He had a great year. He had a really good year, at least. He was good in the playoffs. He played well enough for the Oilers to win. Um he, he, I didn't feel he let, let in that many bad goals in the playoffs. Hellebuck wasn't even that much better than him, but uh, he was a little bit better than him, and that made a difference. Yeah, oh, Hellebuck was a lot better in, in, uh, in some measurements because um, most um, uh, the, the orders had the lion's share of the, of the flow of play, 
and you know the expected goals and so on that the Oilers were expected to score based on the shots and type of shots that they generated. And Hellebuck was something like minus seven point five. It saved something like seven point five more uh, goals saved above average. I mean, and obviously you don't have point five goals. I mean, it's it's just a projection. But that's like two goals per game. And Smith, on the other hand, was minus 1.6. That he let in a goal or two goals more than he should have. Should have. Let me make sure. Do the old. Uh, um, Is that based on shots know. or chances, Bruce? Do they it's count missed on, shots? Do they count based, missed shots? Yeah, that? it's based on. Uh, it's based on um, shots and shot quality, and. I think I think it's based on shots on goal and when, from the goalie's perspective. But uh, anyways, <clears throat> Hellebuck was he was fantastic. He stole the series, yeah. and I would argue that in a sample size that small, that Smith's minus number, you know, it's it's probably not fair. Like you could look at it from natural stat tricks point of view or, or hockey reference point of view and say that that. That deflection goal by Tornino or whatever who won the first game for uh, for Winnipeg, who deflected the puck out of midair off the post, off the net cam, and it took a video review to figure out the puck was in the net. That thing probably had a 0.1 chance of going in. Well, the actual deflection itself was, you know, seeing eye perfection, and you know, it's unrealistic to even expect the goalie to stop that shot. I think, but it's uh, so. Like the the actual specifics of the goals that went in, I I didn't find too many that you could really blame Mike Smith, other than I thought down the stretch in Game Three when they had the four one lead, that was the lead you'd kind of like to think your goalie can make that stand up, even if your team has some trouble in front of them, and instead yeah. three consecutive chances that Winnipeg had that we measured Grade A chances three in a row went in the net and it went from four one to four four just like that. We tagged them with making mistakes on two goals against mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Okay. There was one where the Pullman goal, where he pounded uh, out the big rebound on a not very difficult shot, and Pullman put it in the net. So he was that was a bad mistake actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, Larson and Kulikov also made mistakes. And there was another one where Wheeler scored. Oh, this is in the this is well. in the run of horrible moments and so in that sequence of pain starts off with a kulikov turnover juju kara's puck watching on the play instead of covering blake wheeler and he cashes in on a rebound from off of smith so um we that was a bad one you know the 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 connor the kyle connor goal in overtime the last goal Mm -hmm. was borderline ab right it was it was a, that was one of the shots where you'd want where hellebuck probably would have made that save right and Maybe all uh, the other ones yeah so but other, smith played really well like he, he fought he made a lot screens. of big saves he, he made, made a, a ton big of big saves they had 19 grade a chances in that last game bruce and mm-hmm. he stopped a lot of them so you know anyway they're going to bring him back Koskinen didn't play, um, Mm. so that his value obviously went down um, a little bit, and he had a bad end of the regular season. He he had a good stretch of games after Smith came back, and then he had his final two or three games were bad. I don't, I don't 
no, I'm going to have to think hard, hard on whether buying him out is the right decision. Um, do I don't think it's, how do you move him otherwise? Well, you could trade him and retain salary. Um, mm-hmm. the, you know, if you could trade him and retain salary, that's obviously the best option, right? Um, and, but I don't, can, can you, like the, the appealing idea would be bring in a younger goalie who Smith can mentor as mm-hmm. a puck mover. Like, I, I think if Smith can pass on that, that puck moving, you know, by example, to another goalie, uh, like to Skinner even, but mm-hmm. I think Skinner needs another year in the HL. And, and he can, he can get that without having to pass through waivers. And, yeah. um, anyway, Koskinen's value has gone down. I, I'm going to have to think harder yeah. before I, I weigh in whether they should, what they should do with them. But it's obviously an option. One of the, they're going to be, they're going to be weighing whether to buy them out or not. Yeah. I, can, I can't see him coming back with the same tandem. So when Holland says, yes, we want to sign Mike Smith, uh, you read his lips moving. He's, to me saying yes we want to move on from Mikko Koskinen. Uh, Do you really think that? Didn't I don't he kind of defend Koskinen? I don't think they're going to go with the same tandem again. You don't? You know? No, I don't. I thought I heard him defending him. Uh, defending the tandem. Maybe he's defending his decision to go with that tandem, but uh, Right. He, yeah, he, I mean he did say our on the, over the course of the season our goaltending was good. Um uh, but most of it was after Smith got back, at which point Smith was playing three quarters of the time, and the coach trusted Koskinen enough that he put him out there in back-to-backs, and otherwise, he, if they had any kind of rest, he would go with Smith. And I, I do think the puck moving has a lot to do with that, because you know the the presence of Smith changed the structure of the Oilers in the in the defensive end of the ice. His ability to go out and and feel those pucks and distribute them changed the job and made the, you know, the defenseman's job so uh, quite a bit easier. They, you know, fewer puck battles, fewer getting mashed by guys in on the forecheck, you know, face against the glass kind of plays where you got to win a race to the puck, take the hit and, and, you know, hold it and move it. Oftentimes they just peel off to the two corners and Smith would pass it to whichever guy the forechecker didn't go to and out they would waltz. And, you know, you watch it time and time and time again, it has an effect. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not sure that it's a transferable skill. I, don't, I mean, Koskinen learned a little bit from Smith, but I've seen too many teams where the t- t- one goalie is a good puck mover and the other guy, I mean, Grant Fuhrer is a great puck mover. Andy Moog, you didn't want him leaving the net to stop a shoot around because, you know, and, he, and generally he wouldn't because it wasn't really his thing. Or, uh, or my uh, uh, favorite pairing of, of uh, opposite puck, uh, goalies was uh, Don Smokey McLeod and Dave Dryden in the WHA, where Smokey McLeod was the backup goalie and he got 10 assists <laughs> in the season as the number two goalie because he was such a wild man coming up and playing pucks and just super, super aggressive. And the other goalie was... Just completely opposite. Just didn't didn't really get involved in that part of the game at all. So you like to think if you're setting your team structure to how Mike Smith plays, that the second guy they go and get, they would want to get a guy who was more than adequate to say pretty good as being a puck mover, that he could do some of the same things. And as I recall, that's what New Jersey used to do when they would have a, a second goalie was a half decent puck mover. So on the one night a month that Martin Brudeur took, took off, they could continue to play their same style. And 
So it maybe will inform Holland's decision making as to which, what style of goalie he's going after. Koskinen had a pretty mediocre season overall. It's fair yeah. to say, 899 yep. save percentage. But you know he's coming off a year where he was at what 917, 916. Mm-hmm. One of the better goalies, you know, in, in middle of the pack starter in the NHL. So <clears throat> I, I, I'm going to say that I'm not convinced that they're going to uh, buy him out. And I'm not convinced it's the right move. It, it, you'd have to, when they're looking at all their moves, it's certainly an option though. And and we will we'll return to that um, when we dig into each player more specifically. I'll add one more thing. Uh, and, and this goes back to... Uh, uh, former general manager Peter Shirelli and one of the holes that he left the Oilers in. Uh, this was his very last move before he was fired the next day. But according to Bob Nicholson, he had the blessing of the Oilers, uh, uh, you know, management group to make this signing in January of uh, 2019 when both Smith, uh, or sorry, both Koskinen who was signed to a one-year contract, and a decent bet by Chirelli the previous summer, and Cam Talbot, who was on the final year of his three-year deal. And uh, so they were both coming to the end of their contract. It was clear one of them was going to stay and one of them was going to go. And they couldn't even start negotiating with Koskinen on his one-year deal until January 1st. And by January 19th, I think it was, they'd already come to the conclusion, Chirelli, Already come to the conclusion, Koskinen's going to be the man. Talbot's got to go, and I mean, Talbot didn't go until, you know, it wound up being Keith Gretzky who traded out uh, Talbot a couple months later. But as soon as Koskinen signed, the writing was on the wall, and it was just such a premature thing. Like he signed Koskinen at the time that he had about 20 games here and under 30 in the NHL. He was 30 years old, and he's committing three years at you know pretty big money. To this guy, and at the same time, he's basically consigning the other guy to the dustbin in history from the organizational standpoint. Well, you know, that guy, Cam Talbot, he's still pretty good. I watched him get a shutout last night against Vegas Golden Knights to take their series to Game 7. That's the guy that he gave up on. In the meantime, we're saddled with the last year of Michael Koskinen's contract and, and not much uh, expression of value on that contract. It's just yet another of the horrendous mistakes of, of Peter Shirelli and, uh, and the mess that he left behind when he left. I mean, that, that whole goalie situation was just wait till the end of the season and then make your choice. Because at the time that he made the choice, not only did he, you know, commit to Koskinen, but Talbot was, he knew he was the odd man out immediately and it's still January. And, you know, it just was it was it was poorly handled from a you know a couple of different perspectives even even anyway the, for, for here's one cautionary tale about moving on from Koskinen. a lot of people didn't want Mike Smith back this year as you recall mm-hmm. yep and uh, they wanted players like Aaron Dell he mm-hmm. was his name came up a lot this year Aaron Dell played seven NHL games he had an 857 save percentage nice hurt Aaron Dell <laughs> a lot and. Might have yep. raised it myself as a possibility. Yep. Um, another, another Brayden Holtby. Some people want a Brayden Holtby. Mm-hmm. Um, 21 games played, 889 save percentage. Okay. Uh, some people wanted the Oilers to trade for, make a trade with Brayden. Columbus, get Eunice Corposalo. 33 games, 894 save percentage. 
uh, I heard people excited about, um, what's his name? Jacob Markstrom, 43 games, 904 save percentage. So I guess it's just, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of an iffy thing. Yeah. Uh, it's an iffy thing in some ways, goaltending, figuring out who's going to, who's going to come up big for you. Who's not, uh, more than any other position. Yeah. And the recent history of Edmonton goaltending should tell us that most people were okay with Cam, Cam Talbot leaving Edmonton when he did. I think probably we were, if I'm not mistaken, uh, at the time. And he, he's re- resurrected his career, uh, with a new team. So it's just Jacob Markstrom. If people, if the orders that signed Jacob Markstrom to that big contract, many people at Edmonton would have been thrilled with the, that had happened. Um, mm-hmm. look at the area out in Calgary, it, John Gibson, yeah. people have been saying, let's trade for John Gibson for years. John Gibson had played 35 games. He had a nine Oh three safe percentage. Now that's playing a, in a terrible defensive team. Maybe they were employing the swarm in a- Anaheim this year as well, for all I know. <laughs> so anyway, I just, I, I, I guess I just have a, I, I'm not going to say mm-hmm. that I know what the, maybe right. I after after all of it's just it's it's a tough one bruce and because koskinen could come back next year and he could be mm-hmm. the, the, the goalie that had the 916 save percentage mm-hmm. um the year before why not so yeah. it, it, maybe that's what ken holland's thinking and then you got a way buying them out i buyouts like if they're gonna buy out neil two buyouts really i don't think that's can they even do have they used up all their buyouts anyway but if you're going to buy out Neil, do you really want another one? Are you really going to use that money wisely? Is that the is that the right move? If you can trade them and retain salary, that's much far more attractive if you can do that. But is can you get a better backup for two million? Like what's if they can reta- if they retain half, it's like two point two five, right? Can you retain? Is it half that you can? Yeah, yeah. So it's for two and two point two five, could you get a better backup than Miko Koskinen next year? Mm, probably, maybe, but if Koskinen rebounds, um, then that backfires in your face. So, right, uh, it's just to me, it's kind of a, a difficult decision, and it's fraught. Right. Well, I'll, I'll make a final point that Koskinen. I mean, we tend to um, turn the goalie conversation into a very one-dimensional save percentage because his first job is as a stopper. And if you don't stop it, well, it doesn't matter what else you do. Uh, But such a goalie, I mean, all of his value is in his save percentage. And especially in the case of Koskinen, who maybe gives up an extra rebound or two here and there, you want to have a save percentage that's above average simply for his performance to be average because he doesn't really bring other other things to the table. He's not a a puck distributor and... and, uh, you know, I mean, two years in a row, uh, the orders allowed uh, a couple shots more per game with Koskinen in net than Smith is in that. Well, he better stop those couple extra shots, so he should have a save percentage higher just to keep his goals against average the same. And last year he did. This year it was the other way around. And, you know, his his uh, uh, both, you know, his save percentage and his high shot rate, he had a 3.17 goals against average. It's not that great. So no. Here's a here's a, f- some more names that we were talking about that I was talking about. So I don't mm-hmm. want to place this like I was talking about these players. Mm-hmm. 
Antiranta, 12 games for uh, Arizona, 905 save percentage. Darcy Kemper, who people were talking about trading a first pick for. He played mm-hmm. 27 games in Arizona and had a 907 uh, save percentage this, this year. James Reimer, another name who came up, 22 games, uh, 906 save percentage in Carolina. So I guess I, I'll just leave it, leave it at that. Bruce, let's move on to the coach. Okay. How do you think the coach did uh, in the playoffs? Well, I think he did 0-4. So, <laughs> you know, you, you measure the coach on the results and ultimately the general manager as well. And he coached four games and he lost all four games. Now, they were incredibly close games. The process was largely pretty good, even as the, you know, the results were bad. The Oilers had, uh, uh, you know, if if you put this Gumper the goalie in both nets, the Oilers probably win three of those games. Uh, Winnipeg had the the Vezina Trophy winner in there, and he was a big difference maker. I have to say I was pretty nonplussed with a couple of decisions that he made. And one of them was uh, the uh, choice of um, going back to McDavid and Drysaddle on the same line, like early in the series, third period of game one, as soon as they fell behind, he went to McDavid and Drysaddle together. And they played a part against Winnipeg for, I think, 73% of the time they were apart and 27% together. Uh, and they, the reason they were successful against Winnipeg during the season, 7-2, and two, uh, in part was because the Oilers' big centers were able to match up well against Winnipeg's depth of centers because Winnipeg's got a number of excellent centers. And when Winnipeg were able to match up Lowry against both McDavid and Dreisaitl on the same line, well, that opens up both Shifley and Stastny lines to play against considerably weaker competition because, of course, Edmonton's second, third, and fourth lines are, are nowhere close to the one line that's stacked with, to me, their three best forwards in the series were uh, uh, Dreisaitl, McDavid, and Pogliarvi. And it was, uh, to me... The fact that he never once, after that game one decision, halfway through the third period, he never once went with the separate lines. He was McDavid and Drysaddle joined at the hip for the rest of the series. Even when it wasn't working, he didn't switch up. It's like, let's go to the, you know, let's take the power pill right from the beginning of the game and just stick with it for the entire 60 or 64 or 106 minutes or however long the game lasts without ever going to... to, uh, the other option, which was the vertical deployment of the two. And, and so he, he he made that decision once in the series. He made it in game one, and he never went away from it. To me, that was a mistake. Bruce, uh, they had good, decent shot on ice shot metrics mm-hmm. together, yep. but they, their goals for was three goals for, five goals against. And, you know... A couple empty netters in there, were there? Uh, there might be. Yeah, there might be. Let me just uh, let me just see. Just go to five on five to make sure that that uh, yeah. that's not included. Um, three and three. You're right. So there was two mm-hmm. empty editors in there. We can't. I won't blame them that. So so they sawed it off. If the if that's not good enough. If you're if you have Connor McDavid and Leon Settle on your team and you're sawing it off, and they sawed it off. They they sawed it off the year before as well. You you can't win. You will not win. 
to get the most out of these two players, you need to have them on separate lines. It's been known for a long time. The, the numbers have been saying that. It's clear that this is the way to go. And I I agree. Like, And when they put them together, they didn't even put them, like the, 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 the unit that had had the most success this year was the 82% solution, 82% goals for a percentage, Yamamoto, Drysaddle, and McDavid. And they weren't even put together till the last game. So there was that as well. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of it either. I was hoping they would stick with the lines that they went with in game one as the series progressed, at least for one more game, just to see if that's going to work. Because when you're matching up against Adam Lowry, you know, they, they they just loaded up that line with great checking players. Winnipeg has them, and they were able to neutralize the, the Oilers' best line that way. They could match up their two best defensive defensemen against uh, the, the Oilers' best. They made it easier for the Winnipeg Jets. I didn't like, I liked Hibbs going with Cuckoo. I think that was the right choice. I liked them putting in Chris Russell for Kulikov. I thought that was the right choice. Um, I didn't like him. Um, I didn't like the lack of a timeout in, uh, in game three on that run of goals. Yeah. That was a big mistake. It was mm-hmm. a huge mistake. He needed to calm down his team, remind them like, okay, guys, suck it up. You got this. You can do this. I liked how he brought, I thought he did a great job of bringing the team together again. And it's at least from what his media comments were after the third game loss. I liked it. He said, um, oh, this is exactly what we want. We don't want time to dwell on this. We want to play tonight. Even if that's not true, the job of the coach, as Ken Dryden said of Scotty Bowman, is the players, Dryden said, are looking for crutches. They want crutches. Well, the hotel wasn't very good. We didn't get a good sleep. We're traveling too much. Like just an endless litany of excuses Dryden would say that the players would come up with. And the job of what Scotty Bowman did was kick those crutches out. So there's no excuses to go out there and win. And that's what Dave Tippett did in that right. moment. And I thought it was a, I don't know if he believed what he was saying, but it was, it's the exact right thing to say is we, we're sucking it up. And we, this is actually a good thing for us. We don't have to dwell on it. We can get right back at it. And they did. They really did. They 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 came out there and they competed in that game, which spoke well of that team and that coach. So there was there was some stuff I liked. I really didn't like the overtime benching of Cuckoo mm-hmm. going with so few players where, you know, the last goal could have, as much as anything, could have come down to mental exhaustion on the part of the coaches, McDavid, Larson, everybody on the ice. All it was, uh, it was four mental mistakes. It was, you talked about before that led to that goal against all of it could have come down to, we're all just discombobulated by having to run so few players and the players on the ice are tired and we got to get Ethan, mm-hmm. Ethan bear off the ice really quickly. Cause we don't trust him right now. It was just like all madness to me. McDavid, um, you know, Larson making a snafu like he did McDavid, not getting the puck in deep. It was one thing after Mc- another. So David shooting the puck away at all like he's coming over the blue line with the puck fresh on the ice at the end of a killed freshly killed penalty why is he dumping it like there was a couple of mental mistakes but i think the four that we that we uh came up with at the time were mcdavid larson bear and tippet and tippet yeah tippet making right. a mental mistake with his handling of, of bear and uh on the and general Correct. situation uh I would, I mean, I get that it's a win-at-all-cost situation. Uh, running with 13 skaters through all that length of time, and and never going away, even as the game got longer. And you know, you know, you got Peter Klima sitting on your bench. You got to put him out there at some point. And they they've got a uh, 
Uh, I look at the long view of the Oilers are trying to develop a team, a team with an identity. And, you know, I've been pounding this drum for years about internal development of players and especially internal development, not of high first-round draft picks that come in and make the team right away, but guys that build through the organization, second, third, fourth, Saturday draft picks, who eventually make the team and, you know, fill in the depth roles up and down the lineup. Well, who did the Oilers have on their team this year who were... uh, you know, guys that have developed over a course of many years. Well, we have Caleb Jones, who never got in the lineup, so rule him out. we got Ethan Bear, who was a fifth-round draft choice, who's made the league. He's sitting on the bench for three overtime periods. we got Juju Akara, a third-round draft choice, who gradually worked his way into the league and has been a part of the team for a long time. He's sitting on the bench for three overtime periods. we got Ryan McLeod, second-round draft pick, and he's a little bit ahead of schedule, But when a push came to shove, he's sitting on the bench for three overtime periods. And these are the guys, you know, they're coming back next year. Well, what did they learn from that situation? You know, it's it's a building learning opportunity. And to me, largely, some of it at least, wasted by the fact that the opportunities were restricted to so few and and possibly even a confidence, um, you know, not crusher, but, a, you know, a, a, it's not a builder when your coach doesn't trust you when in an all-important situation enough to even put you out on the ice. So they said Kara, McLeod, and Chason, correct? Yeah. So Chason. And Baron Cook. And Bear, yeah. So Chason, you're, you're thinking of who to, he didn't make a mistake on that last goal against. And, uh, we're just going to shut the door here. And, the thing about Alex Chason is, why not put Alex? Why not put Alex Chason out there for a shift? He's the one winger who's least likely to make a mistake on a on a grade A chance against all year, and in the playoffs where he did not make one. He's just the, he's the soundest, safest defensive player that you have on the wing, and you don't put him out there when when other players are dragging their butts around the ice at at 70 percent speed. Why not give him every, you know just spot him in through the lineup? rotate him regularly. Let's say you don't want to play Ryan McLeod because you're just worried. I get it. But mm-hmm. can't you spot in Jujar Kara, who's a solid defensive player? And can't you spot in Alex Chason, who's a spot, like even if you're running yeah. three lines, just give them a, give the other guys a rest now and then. So yeah, I wasn't, I, I think if you talk to, like if he, like, like, I don't know if an exercise physiologist weighed in about peak performance and how, how athletes, what you can expect in terms of performance drop over time when they, when they're overtaxed like that, I think they would say this was madness, Bruce. Like, and I don't, this is just me speaking off the top of my head. I haven't heard anyone weigh in like that, but my sense is they would say that was just a, not a, that was not a very good idea, coach. And you should reconsider your tactics next time around. Yeah, well, of course, the other issue is that there's no guarantee the game's going to three overtimes. It's always a short-term strategy. Next shift, we score, we win, we go, we fly home, and you know we won with our best. But uh, th- that never happened, and they took, uh, you know, five skaters basically right out of the game, and the other guys they played them until virtually they dropped, and it was so I. It, Net result, I, I come out of that series uh, with some fairly serious criticisms of Dave's, Dave Tippett's coaching in the series. 
And now it's two years in a row that he's had a team that's performed pretty well in the regular season and collapsed as a uh, favorite in the playoff series and have now lost uh, six games in a row and seven out of eight in the last two years in the playoffs. And NHL coaches have nine lives, Bruce. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Dave Tippett used up at least, he used up one of his nine lives in that first playoff series by not using the dynamite line. Mm-hmm. He used up two or three, four more. He's probably about, he's, he might be, he's got four lives left, four or five lives left as an NHL coach with the Oilers um, after this. That's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. and uh, he, he might not, he, if, if, if everything goes well next year, um, mm-hmm. he could be back the year after that and the year after that. But he's got to have a good year next year, Bruce. He will get one more season, one more yeah. playoffs, but they've got to, do much better in the playoffs next time around. So he's on a three year contract. So that next year will be the last year of his contract. And traditionally you see uh, NHL teams give a guy an extension early in that contract. So the team doesn't see him as dead man walking, you know, behind the bench that he's got some kind of, you know, not just tenure, but future tenure uh, with the organization that they've invested, that he's their man. I have no idea they won't be doing that with Tippett, that they're just going to let him run into his third year and, as you say, see how see how uh, how things go. And, and uh, he's... Uh, and, and I don't foresee him getting, like, fired during the season or anything, but it'll all be, come down to the playoffs. And if the team doesn't perform in the playoffs next year, then... I can't imagine they would stick with them if they failed in the playoffs three years in a row. So it's, uh, you know, it's no. it's going to it's yeah. going to come down to that. So he's he's on a one-year contract at this point, and it's going to need to be a good year, and it's really going to need to be a a, a good playoffs. I just want to say that I I like so much about this coach. Mm-hmm. I, I like yeah. his demeanor. I think his, from what I can tell, his man management skills are outstanding. He seems to have, you know, he seems to get it right with the players and uh, most of the time. And to be a really solid leader for the players and not too high, not too low. He's doing all the, he's, he's, he's getting so much right. The special teams he gets, he's gotten right. I think their handling of uh, which defenseman to play has been great. Like, I, I think they usually nail it with who to get in the lineup and who to pair together on the defenseman. Outstanding. Um, the, I, I just wonder, like, the, the forward lines, you know, getting this together. And this is an ongoing issue with playing McDavid and Drysaddle together. They've got to solve this. And the, the, the way they solve it is by getting a left winger for McDavid who isn't Leon Drysaddle. They've got to do that this, this year. Now, that's got to be top priority mm-hmm. this summer. Get it done. Make that happen. And that will solve the problem for for Dave Tippett that's, that's been ongoing. I think, I, I think he probably wants to separate them as well, but, um, and, and knows that's the right thing to do, but, uh, has been stymied and thwarted somewhat in that by the, the lack of options. Um, you know, and r- the surprise that Ryan Nugent Hopkins didn't work out there with McDavid this year, yeah. it's kind of a stunner, you know, honestly. Um, and then Dominic Cahoon didn't step up their next bet, which was a pretty good bet, right? We all thought that was a pretty good bet too, and it just didn't really work out. So maybe next year, Dylan Holloway or Tyler Benson or uh, an unnamed player they, they they will bring in will be the answer, uh, and that will help tip it out. 
I'm glad he's back. I think he's a good coach, and I'm I'm glad he's I'm glad he's the Oilers' coach, and uh, I think he will. He he does have the ability to put together some great lines. He he did it with the dynamite line. He did it this year with Drysdale, McDavid, Yamamoto. That 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 really worked. He put together the Shore, Kara, Archibald line that really worked. He got some lines now and then that, that worked, and um, you know, starting at the start of the year, nothing was working, and he gradually figured it out but it didn't come together in the playoffs so let's leave it there bruce i think we'll have we, we could talk about holland but that's just another discussion in a way so i think we've kind of done our playoff synopsis i mean we do you have any comments on, like i guess did he do enough at the deadline or not any thoughts on that i uh, on that well the one guy brought in at the deadline got benched by his coach in the do or die game so yeah it's hard to say that that really worked out all that well. I thought it was a decent bet on the guy he made. Um, they didn't address a couple other issues, including a face-off circle that did wind up burning him. Uh, I was a little nonplussed with yesterday's extensive press conference. That was a whole whole lot of sort of rambling about his time in Detroit. You know what, Ken, you've been in Edmonton for two full years now and you're here for at least three more based on the five-year contract you signed. And I know that your experience in Detroit informs how you want to go about it, but this isn't Detroit anymore. This is Edmonton, you know, and here we are th- uh, three years in and we've got, a, we've got uh, the same issue as, as, uh, as when you arrived. We have a forward core that has... Uh, let me get this right here. Uh, Connor McDavid, 105 points. Leon Drysaddle, 84 points. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, third, 35 points. And then they've got Pugliarvi, 25. Yamamoto, 21. And then you're into 16 points for your sixth. I mean, that's your top six. And your sixth guy's got 16 points. And oh, yeah. there's just no, there's not a top six support. And the bottom six is still, you know, he brought in his pros, you know, sure. Um, but the, the, there's there's so much room there to build around these two immensely talented star players. Uh, you know, I mean, how in the hell are those guys getting all those points when they got no wingers that can put the puck in the net? That's what I wonder. Right? I mean, I guess that's why the coach keeps defaulting to putting them back together with each other. But... Holy moly, find a freaking left winger and put the puck in the net. I mean, that's that's job one. And he sort of hemmed and hawed about that yesterday, but there didn't seem to be any sort of real strong, firm plan of saying this is our priority one. Or, and it's uh, uh, just it just left me a little cold. And 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 the the the, the things that he was strongest on, uh, re-signing Smith, re-signing Shore. May uh, probably buying someone out, presumably Neil. I mean, those are those are steps, but I mean, I'm not sure that he identified their major uh, needs that need to be addressed in any kind of way that I found fully satisfactory. So the definition of nonplussed is surprised <laughs> and confused so much that uh, you are unsure how to react. 
excellent mm-hmm. vocabulary word, Bruce. That's <laughs> that that release. I I wasn't sure if it meant just disappointed or if it was something else. But uh, so surprised and confused so much that you are unsure how to react. Good right. way of putting it. The the, the, the whole playoff that's, has left I think Oilers uh, Oil Country nonplussed mm-hmm. as a group. It, there's a there is I think people are kind of there's a lot of moving pieces here, like including Clefbaum goalie situation and in this whole thing with the wing but on the other hand it's really you know the the goalie situation options are limited um Clefbaum, it's going to turn out how it turns out but the forward thing he's got to get on that he's got to find that veteran yeah. two-way winger doesn't have to be a big scorer but he he has to be able to cash in Mm-hmm. On, on obvious chances, who can play with Pulleyarvi? Because I think Pulleyarvi might be the sh- the scoring winger, winger um, so. that's going to make it happen with McDavid. But he need they need that third piece on that line, and it's disappointing that it wasn't Ryan that it isn't Ryan Nugent Hopkins. So, um, but they got to make this they got to make it happen, and uh, that's the job for Ken Holland this year. And mm-hmm. uh, I hope he doesn't make a mistake, like you know. Hope it turns out as well as, let's say, Tyson Berry and is not as poorly as Kyle Torres, uh, who we didn't even mention, um, who will be in the a- AHL next year, I think. Well, it won't be him getting... If, if it's him getting bought out, then I'm going to have even more serious questions of uh, of the uh, of the management and capology and everything else because Kyle Torres, to buy him out, would cost more in each season... Uh, against the salary cap than burying them in the minors would for one season. Yeah, it's just $400,000, I believe, yeah. to, uh, to bury yeah, him. And, it, and if they bought him out, it would be 733000 against the cap for each of the next two years. So burying him in the minors is the obvious solution. You, you know, you need grade three math to uh, your discovery math. Might even get that one right, David. <laughs> <laughs> and it's... Uh, it, it's uh, uh, I, I just, of course, but it, it, it's obvious that it's, you know, unless it's a Benoit Pouliot situation where you, the coach hates the guy so much that you got to get rid of him at all costs. No, you just bury him in the minors. But it was a mistake and it was it was a, a, a signing that has me questioning. You know, the guy got bought out on October 7th and the order signed him on the morning of October 9th at portraying him as their 3C. And I just wonder how much freaking scouting they did. Because <sighs> that guy looked like a, a two-way right shot defenseman or center who could win faceoffs and kill penalties. Uh, there's not a whole lot in the statistical record that says that, that, that was that guy. And by what we saw by eye, he never was that guy. And it was huge def- mess, huge yeah. mess, and consequential for the team, Bruce. If mm-hmm. they had found that right side, right shot center could take some phase offs and play covering the defensive slot, mm-hmm. different team this year. Yeah. And they just totally blew it. And, and, you know, this was the Holland's problem in Detroit in his last years. He, he had scouts who weren't performing for him, both on the amateur side where they had aced it for a decade, they fell off, and on the pro side. They just, and he brought some of those same, same scouts here, Tyler Wright, uh-huh. and, uh, you know, who may have, but Tyler Wright may have aced it with the Dylan Holloway pick, we'll see, and Archie Henderson. And mm-hmm. there's nothing I've seen in the Oilers' pro player com, uh, procurement with Archie Henderson in this key role that makes me think he's still the right guy for that job. So they're, 
huge questions. And so my fear about bringing in a big winger, like paying mm-hmm. a lot of money for the winger is, are they going to identify the right guy even? Right. Like, can they do that? Are they going to get this right or not? You know, is it going to be some gray beard? Like, uh, nothing against people with gray beards, Bruce. Uh, is it going to be some gray beard? <laughs> That's the word Holland used. Like he wants these gray mm-hmm. beards, like Kyle Torres, Kyle Graybeard Torres. So we don't need that. And I'm worried about that. Like, honestly, I am. So I, yeah. So it's a, it's a big summer for Ken Holland. He's got to get it right. And, you know, he's, he's gifted because they have these players coming up in Bouchard and Broberry and Lavoie and, and, and Carter Savoy and Dylan Holloway. He brought in Holloway mm-hmm. and he drafted Broberry. So, we'll, you know, mm-hmm. a lot depends on Broberry's development, though, of course. We'll yeah. see. A lot, a lot of people aren't that bullish on that player anymore. They think it was a, a missed pick. And they could yep. we could have Cole Caulfield or Trevor Zegris by now mm-hmm. on the Edmonton Oilers. So... We shall see. Bruce, let's let's leave it there. Yeah, okay. Now that we didn't talk about Holland and we only spent, yeah. what, five minutes not talking about him or maybe ten? <laughs> well, for you and I, that's just clearing our throats. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very much in the show-me state on both uh, both coach and GM. Let's, let's, let's put it there. And I know they, they both come in here with, with uh, outstanding track records, lots of experience, lots of things to like, but it's time, gents. Got holes on the team that have been holes for a long time that need to be filled. And yeah, thanks again, Bruce. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.